This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So on October 1st of this year, I mailed a package, a box, about yay big, $189 on its way to my son and his family in Papua New Guinea. The normally reliable, and I really mean that, they really are normally reliable, United States Postal Service lost the box. No idea where it is. So the third time I went to the post office to try to get an explanation of where it was, why they lost it, who's going to find it, I lost it. The conversation went something like this. Post office guy. Yeah, I know, it's really strange, but it's out of our hands. Me, out of your hands? Aren't your hands the United States Postal Service? You work for them. He goes, yeah, I know, it's really strange. I can't figure it out. I go, I pick up a box that's lying on the floor, and I slam it on the counter, and I go, I can understand you can lose a letter. But this is a box. It's this big. It weighed 22 pounds. He says, yeah, I know. It's really strange. <laughs> and I go, he goes, but you know, you can talk to Ms. Wilson when she's in tomorrow. And I say, ha, huh, great. So she's going to advocate for me. He goes, actually, no. She's just another person you can talk to. At this point, I'm tempted to escalate further, which I think in a federal building, in a post office, it's probably not a good idea. So I leave, muttering things under my breath. It wasn't a great moment. I'm a little bit consoled to know that a lot of us are having not great moments these days. I was reading an article on BuzzFeed, just so you get both sides of the spectrum article on BuzzFeed titled, We Found Rage in a Hopeless Place. It said a lot of us are, quote, totally fried and at loose ends. Expectations have been subverted, and anger is flowing into the void. An article in the Wall Street Journal says, we f it feels like shouting is all we do these days. There's so much that's wrong. There's so much injustice. There's so many bad people out there, dangerous people out there, dumb people out there. People ruining this country, and we're all in a hurry. And so we all got to get busy railing, trying to fix it, trying to set things right. Turn with me to our first scripture reading, because in light of what we're going through, this is a beautiful and timely passage and message from God. You'll find it on page 984 in the Pew Bibles in front of me. And actually, what I'm going to do is look at the passage that you heard read, but then also kind of recap where we've been through the book of Colossians, because there's, there's a flow to this. There's a logic to this. There's a story to this. And we can't just look at this passage isolated from the message of the entire book. So what we're going to get here is a radically different approach to healing our societal ills. So the Apostle Paul is writing to a small church in the city of Colossae, group of Christians who have no political clout, no power, not a lot of financial resources probably. They meet in a home. They don't own a building. 
It's probably a smaller congregation. They are maligned, they are mocked, they are misunderstood, and yet they have this revolutionary message. So you heard earlier when Dean Steve preached on, on Colossians chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 16, by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, and then skip down to verse 20, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What an astounding message that Jesus, through the blood of the cross, through his crucifixion on a Roman cross, is, has made peace between us and God and between us and each other. What an amazing message. So how are we going to get this message out? How are we going to get this message, this reconciling, healing message, how are we going to get it out? Well, we need big plans. We need big projects. We need big programs, right? Actually, it doesn't start there. Chapter 3, verse 12, the verses that you heard read, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He lists five virtues. They are very quiet virtues. They're very small virtues. They're very powerless, seemingly powerless virtues. And then in chapter, four, chapter 3, verse 14, he says, and then above all these, above all these virtues, put on love. Wrap yourself in love. Now, when I read this the first time, I thought, okay, this sounds, it sounds really nice. That's what I'm supposed to believe as a Christian. But honestly, it seems like there's two problems. One, these virtues are really weak or seemingly weak. They're not efficient. They're not powerful. They won't destroy the opposition. The 19th century philosopher Frederick Nietzsche would have called these, categorized these as the slave morality virtues. They're weak. They're pathetic. And secondly, they're not only weak, they seem kind of easy, right? I mean, come on, God, give me a challenge. I mean, I'm compassionate, I'm kind, I'm forbearing. It's those other people that aren't. I was at a soccer game, a, a Division I soccer game, where my son is an assistant coach, and the coach from the other team was constantly yelling to the referees, that's a foul, that's a foul, that's a foul. And then he said, we're not the team that's fouling. I thought, what a perfect picture of where our culture is at. That's a foul, but it's not me or my team that is doing the fouling. It's those other people. I think we're going to see in our biblical text, these virtues are not weak. It actually takes a strong and mature and integrated and growing person to put these virtues into practice. And they're not easy either. They're not natural to us. And actually, it will take a supernatural intervention from the living God to come to us to pour himself out in love for us, to come in power to redeem us and to re liberate us from our own sinful patterns that will require an act of power on God's part and grace on God's part. And that is the story of the whole Bible from cover to cover, but it's also the story of this little book in Colossians. We see this story, this logic repeated over and over and over again. 
And remember, you may remember the very, I, the very first sermon in this series, Rooted in Jesus, we talked about in Colossians chapter 1 how the gospel, the good news is Jesus, is not do, 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 so God will accept you. It's done, done, done. It's about first what God has done. So we read in chapter 1, verses 12 through, 12 through 13, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Watch for that word beloved again. We're going to see that again. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has qualified you. He's made you fit. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred you. Done, done, done. God did it. Surely by grace. Not because we were so great, not because we were so amazing, not because we were so strong or so smart or so virtuous or so moral. God did it out of grace. And therefore, Paul goes on in chapter 2, he says, because that's been done, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you received all of this by grace, freely given by God, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Rooted in Jesus because of what he's done. And then you heard a couple weeks ago Deacon Margie talking about chapter 3 where it says because God has done and because we're now rooted in Jesus, chapter 3, verse 9, do not, lie to one or, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Because God has done, 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 because you're rooted in Jesus, put off and put on. Think of a shirt that you've put on. It's ripped. It's grease-stained. It smells like rotten eggs and sour milk. And yet you're very attached to it. Paul says that's like the practices of the old self. He actually has two lists of five. So the first five in chapter 3, verse 5, have to do with sexuality and covetousness. The second five have to do with our attitudes towards people and then how that spills out into words, how we talk about or to people. Now, this, it is not easy to take off the old self. So Paul says, take off these things. Take off sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. I want what other people have. I want what you have. I want to have more of that. It could be money. It could be things. It could be intelligence. It could be beauty. It could be athletic ability. I want that. That's covetousness. He says, put it off. And then in verse 8, he says, and put off another list of five things, anger, wrath, Malice, slander, and obscene talk. Why is it so hard to put these things off? You could maybe go through the list and see which ones are hard for you to get off. Because we've wrapped ourselves in these things, and they feel so normal now. They feel so natural. Sure, it's ripped, and it's grease-stained, and it smells like rotten eggs and sour milk, but it's mine. And I've worn it for a long time, and it feels very comfortable. It feels cozy even. See, God 
is always about true freedom, true liberation, true human flourishing. God and the gospel are pro-love, not anti-love. This is where all this is going. Taking off these things is all part of putting on love. That's the goal. Paul gives us a little glimpse of it in verse 11. I love this verse, by the way. Verse 11, let me read it. Look there on verse 11. Here in the Christian community, in the new creation that Christ has started, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul moves right into the things that divided people the most, the socially, uh, econ- socioeconomically, in terms of race and class and politics and privilege, the things that would divide people the most. He goes right into it, and he says, I know these things, the, the world is structured so, so around prejudice and elitism, and it's so entrenched that it seems natural. And it's so entrenched that it's, it's eating our country, our nation, and our world alive. And the gospel of Jesus does something explosive. It's like, it's like TNT underneath that structure and blows it up and says Christ is all and in all. And I love the way N.T. NT, NT Wright, New Testament scholar, he says Christ is all and in all. We could add he is in all persons. We see people now, not through class, but through Christ. He is all and in all. We see others in and through Jesus. So in other words, if we ignore somebody with disabilities, we've ignored Jesus. If we as we did not that long ago. Treat back black people and say, well, you have to use that bathroom, you have to use that restaurant, you have to use that hospital. With shocking consistency, we did this not long ago. We have degraded Jesus. This week, one of our members was praying outside an abortion clinic. A young woman drove up. She paused to talk to my friend Michelle and said, as she was driving into the clinic, you know, I really don't want to do this, but I have a one-year-old and I have a two-year-old, and I just can't have another baby right now. And Michelle said, I know how hard it was when I had my third child. I didn't think I could make it, but I did, and I'm so thankful I did. Would you reconsider? And the woman said yes. And she gave Michelle her contact information and drove away, and they've been kept keeping in touch this week. Her baby is now seven weeks plus pregnant. They've started a fund for her. They're helping her. A team of people have kind of mobbed around her to help her, to support her. Michelle treated that mother and child in Christ seeing her and the child in Jesus. That's what I mean when I say the gospel is pro-love. 
So God is done, done, done. Put off. And then in verse 12, now we can actually get to our passage. Verse 12, now that we see the flow, we see the story we're in, we see the logic that's taking place here, now we can get to verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Stop again, because Paul just can't get over this. He's got to tell us again who we are, how gracious God is, how good he is, how much he loves us. Put on then, pause, as God's chosen ones, as holy ones, as beloved ones. Remember in chapter 1 when it said Jesus is the beloved one? Now it says in him we are beloved ones. We are beloved ones chosen by the beloved one. And he gives us these five virtues. Let me read. Remember, five on sexuality, five on attitudes and speech to take off, and five virtues to put on. Compassionate hearts. I think we kind of know what that means, right? There's this North African proverb I heard probably 25 years ago that I've never been able to get out of my head. It goes something like this. The same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. There are certain things in your life, there are certain things in our lives, there are certain things in our culture that are hardening us, making us harden, making us less loving, making us more contentious, more angry, more rage-filled. But those things could also melt our hearts, make us soft, have compassionate hearts. Have you lost a compassionate heart? Kindness. Someone defines it as spirit-produced goodness that sees and meets needs without harshness. That's kindness. Humility. Someone is, actually C.S. Lewis defined it as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Meekness is showing power and strength through gentleness. That's meekness. Patience. It literally means to have a long fuse, to not be short-tempered. Now, the Bible does not say we should never be angry. Actually, there are times when we should be angry, where anger is actually a right response. But this is about premature use of force or anger. And then he gives an application of these five small virtues. He says, I want to see how these play out in your life. In verse 13, he says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Bearing with simply means, well, let me define complaint first. So a complaint is not like acts of violence or or acts of abuse. It's not that level. It It is more the ordinary offenses and disappointments and irritations of just ordinary people in everyday life. The ways you and I bug each other or misunderstand each other. And Paul says, bear with one another, which literally means hang in the relationship, engage, be honest, speak the truth, warn and admonish each other, argue, debate, confront, disagree, but don't cut off the relationship. And why do we need to bear with each other? Because we're so good at sinning. That's why. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his little book on Christian community, Life Together, he said, 
many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? There's a real sinner here. We must expose and expel these real sinners, right? The only problem with that is, but then what are we going to do with you? Another fellow sinner. Do we need to expel you too? That's why we have to do a lot of bearing with one another. And then verse 13, uh, did you pick up on that again? He says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He, again, he's pointing back to this story that this logic of the gospel is that Christ forgave you when you weren't looking for it. He took your sins, all the charges against you, nailed them to the cross, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. You didn't deserve that. It was his kindness that did that to you. So now you respond likewise. And then as a grand finale in verse 14, Paul says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's a little tricky how to translate that, but it probably means this. You put on the five virtues, and then you wrap love around them all, and it keeps them all together. So, for instance, as you may know, I love winter. When we had that 27 degree below zero day, what was that, like three years ago? Oh, what an awesome day. That was great. What a great day. Because one of the best things about winter is you can wear layers of clothes. I just love the layers. So you put on a t-shirt. Well, I do. I put on a t-shirt. I put on a thermal, long thermal shirt. I put on a nice denim shirt. And I might put on a wool shirt over that. And then I have this big old Norwegian sweater. Put all, wrap it all around, button it up with those nice little buttons. It holds it all together. What a great feeling. Paul is saying that's what love does. It just wraps around all those virtues. You put it on. Now, again, lest you think, okay, I got to do, do, do. Notice what Paul does in verses 15, 16, and 17, which I'll just cover real briefly. He says, let the peace of Christ, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. In the name, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the Jesus-centered life, the Christ in you life, the with Christ life. Now, let me just say, have you lost the story of the gospel in your life? Here's a beautiful invitation. It's an invitation to repent. And repent isn't some work we do because we're, we're just afraid. Repent is an invitation to freedom. So think of yourself. What is the clothing that just wrapped itself around you that you know is wrong you know is not right but it's just you've wrapped it around yourself so long that you don't know how to get rid of it and you don't want to get rid of it and maybe your prayer is Lord I don't want to get rid of this but I want to want to get rid of it would you help me with that Lord Lord Jesus help me take off and then help me put on help me put on these Christ like virtues because I can't do this 
by myself. Help me put on these small, hidden, quiet virtues. You know, when I was younger, I really thought that I would really please God by doing big things, amazing things, noticeable things, powerful things. And the older I get, the more I think, I don't know. Some of us are called to do big things. Some of you may do big things. There's nothing wrong with that. But the really big things are actually little things just done over and over again with great love. Little things with great love. That's the Christian life. And above all, put on love. Little things with great love. And above all, put on love. You say, oh, yeah, but I fail so often. I'm not wrapped in love. That's why we show up. That's why we come to the Lord's table, because we're sinners. We need to learn again. We need to receive again. We need to hear the gospel again. Above all, put on love. Let the beloved, with a capital B, Jesus, wrap you in his love. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.